you keep your town nice and clean, that's great. And we do that with our people. They don't have to remember what happened before. They don't have to live in the past. There's no before. There's only from now on. Isn't that beautiful? To not have to remember anything? In the first 13 minutes or so of the film, there is no dialogue. And from that moment onwards, the silence becomes non-existent, replaced with conversation and music, emphasising that the more people are introduced within the film, the louder it becomes. The apocalyptic landscape offers nothing more than what the people abandoned there can find and make do with. And so, since there is nothing else, it becomes a psychological exploration of human nature, on many different spectrums, alone or otherwise. We follow Dal to begin with, alone but not lonely, and then Grace, who is lonely but not alone. They both collide, then forge a compelling friendship, understanding the need of companionship, but also solitude in this drama slash sci-fi film. This is two takes, and this is one shot. Analysis of the film. I think we are alone now. Be warned, there are spoilers throughout. There have been mixed reviews about this film, complementing the beauty and delicate reflection of human nature in the first and second part, with the last part and the ending becoming something else entirely, more sci-fi, making the film become unstructured and unsatisfying. But before we analyse the sci-fi element, the unstructured third act, so-called, we must first define the film as a whole. Even though there has been an apocalyptic event, which is never talked about, all of humanity is dead, their corpses lay where they have died. We have Dell thinking he is the last man on earth, and Grace shattering that thought. She has her parents getting her back, so that when they can be a family unit, that the apocalypse has forced them to be, with forced repression of emotions to be encouraged as a norm because no one wants to remember the deadly event. It's interesting, because usually in apocalyptic films, they concentrate on a cure to stop what's happening, or how it's about to happen. Here, I Think We're Alone Now, explores the after-effects of the human spirit when it comes to everything you have ever known dying around you. It's beautiful in a way, as it cuts back big blockbuster action sequences to concentrate on the main killer of all, grief and loss. TheVerge.com explains further. What's it really about? Loss and grief, and the stubborn mechanisms we use to cope with trauma. Dell was a loner before the apocalypse struck, and initially he claims he's happy to living a near monistic life of solitude and silence. As the movie progresses, it imagines that he has lost people too, and his dogmatic insistence on structure is covering up for a deeper, more painful sense of loss. Grace has her own version to his dynamic. She essentially rewritten who she was in her own mind, an effort to cover up past trauma and horror. In the end, neither can get away with following these approaches. They both have to face their respective truths if they want to survive. There seems to be a certain charm in ignorance or in denial. In Dell, unaware of anyone else alive on the planet, accepts his fate and decides not to search in vain for others. He stays where he is, 
stays with what is familiar and makes a routine for himself. His silence becomes a shadow and his repetitive tasks, such as cleaning a house and burying the dead, become a new norm. He takes what he needs and archives the memories of the deceased by placing their pictures and folders in his library. With Grace, her background at the beginning is very obscure. Found unconscious in a crashed car, she announced her arrival by loud fireworks and the broken horn bellowing out in the town for Del to come and find her. Unlike the noise that erupts from the silence, Grace is the same. She is chatty, tall, young and lively, the exact opposite of Del in every way. There seems to be a turning point of adjustment that has Grace becoming more inspired to settle down without losing her spark, and for Del to loosen up and start talking without losing his solitude. Both are different, but both have a certain charm when sat side by side. The beauty is within the concepts of Del being like the keeper and Grace being like the maker. For an example, Del keeps the memories of all those deceased in a quiet but respectable detachment, whilst Grace encompasses her emotions in the things she likes to do, such as the flowers that bloom in the midst of Del's plants that do not in his greenhouse. She makes things come alive with the connection of feeding to it. Del keeps these things working, maintaining them in good condition. And so, their purposes are met in the middle, and each enjoy it in both ways. Understanding films in its many genres, there's always a moment in a film where secrets are always going to be uncovered, whether willingly or not. And with Grace entering the picture, and in the manner that she did, it was inevitable. It is at this point, when exploration and observation become secondary, and that the more people that are introduced, the more the storyline seems to speed up in drama. Bouncing from character studies to the bigger picture of apocalyptic landscape, this is where it gets weird. And quite rightly too. Many reviewers, such as wearemoviegeeks.com, might say differently. The film seems like it's going to be a psychological exploration of human nature, and there's a kind of metaphor for human life in the interactions of these two people. But the film then takes a turn into a different direction, which reveals Grace's secret in jarring fashion. The film seems to shift from an introspective human drama to a sci-fi story with that more heavy-handed symbolism and social commentary, losing the delicate touch of the first part. After a strong beginning, the story unravels a bit after that turn, moving towards an ending that may not satisfy. True, the ending was not what was expected, However, I feel many reviewers might have missed the reasons behind why the first part was introspective, the second part reflective and secretive, and then the final act has turned sci-fi and somewhat technicolor. Each part of the film is like a reflection of the characters themselves. We follow Dell, the quiet, stoic, methodical man. The first part is us, sitting in silence, observing. We follow him and figure his character out by his actions and body language. The scenes are long, there is no music, and it's somewhat peaceful. The first part is Del. The second part is the introduction of Grace. Loud, charismatic, questioning and secretive. A small desperation of any kind of social interaction has these two finding understanding, but we see Grace holding things back. There is introduction to music, to an animal, even though it was short-lived. Headbanging, colors, and scenes that are cut short and sharp the audience finding themselves in the midst of conversations that have started off screen. 
Instead of us becoming the observer, we are forced back into our seats to be less, and we are now just an audience, pushed out of the intimacy that was just Dell. Grace fills our seats, and even talks back to Dell, making the second part hers, and hers alone. And the third part. When the secrets involve other people and even more talking, even if it is somewhat monologuing, the power has shifted to an unknown player named Patrick. And I must admit, I did not know what was going to happen next, and I couldn't look away. This becomes outside of Dale and Grace's control, the storyline becoming this beast of its own accord that both have to either fight or make peace with. It might be sudden, it might be very intrusive to the introduction of both characters, but I feel a situation like this is what makes them who they are. The pace does change, and the film as a whole is a mismatch on purpose. Introduction of Dell, then Grace, then a situation beyond their control that includes many more people out of their depth. If this isn't an exploration of human nature, then I don't know what is. The inclusion of a sci-fi element, made even more away from the contrast of rock and roll at the beginning to an eerie score, is like the final act of desperation that the characters have to overcome. It seems the neighbourhood that Dal finds has not overcome the trauma in the same way himself and Grace intend to do. Like Patrick had explained in so many words, they wish to clean their people like Dal cleaned his town, to wipe out the negative feelings from the spectrum of human emotions entirely, to have their people have the freedom and peace from their trauma by not remembering so that they can live in the now. Sounds good in theory, but in practice, it's just wrong. And the worst part is the realisation that it doesn't work. Violet, Patrick's companion, has had this treatment done. The same treatment that we see Grace exposed to. And her last words, whilst walking past Patrick's dead body, is quietly exclaiming that she remembers her daughter that she used to have. Therefore, even though the emotions connected to the memory is gone, the memory still remains. And this is the scary part, of remembering the trauma, the horror, of being able to re-see it in your mind's eye, understanding what you should be feeling, or not being able to because the treatment's done to disassociate or become apathetic towards it. It makes you incomplete. It makes you... less. And in reflection, we can see Dell has been doing this to himself for a long time. Shutting out his emotions around his trauma, whilst to have it live around him through his loneliness. The beauty of this, though, is that when Dell is ready, he can start expressing himself again. People like Violet can never have that chance again. She will never have the chance to fully heal. Going back to the sci-fi element as a whole, we must remember that this isn't unique as this aspect of eradicating negative human emotions always leads to all the emotions becoming lost too. Think of Equilibrium, 2002, with the forced repression emotions, the medication that the citizens were made to take daily, and the contraband being anything that could remind them of emotion in the slightest. In conjunction with that, there's the film Equals, 2015. It starts with an emotionless society that begins to have their residents feel again, Basing the resurfacing of emotions as disease, and the medicine as repression, much like that of equilibrium. I think we're alone now. It's like the terror before the first injection in this sense. These two films have already had it, and here, in this apocalyptic landscape, 
after Patrick and those living in the town have rebuilt what is around them. The drive to rebuild is still wanting, and so there becomes this fear towards people like that who strive for perfection, and from what the ending has told us, it is in the midst of beginning to be like equilibrium and equals. Both mentioned films have this dystopian construct of control that will lead to the need for more structure and purpose in the hope of peace. And the beauty of I Think We Are Alone Now is that it doesn't need this direction of structure. The purpose is the element of understanding oneself through others, of gaining perspective through one's grief and loss, and exploring interactions either as grace, an explosive energy and enthusiasm and unchecked emotions, or as doubt in quiet contemplation, reflection, observation, and in caution. There isn't a right or wrong way to grieve, to experience loss. And in the apocalypse, survival and a normal way of finding food and shelter becomes secondary to the survival of the human spirit. I think we're alone now, even in its title, suggests a sense of relief from finally having someone else essentially been being there. We don't have to do anything but be around if you want to talk. And the apocalyptic landscape and the stripping away of everyone because they are dead makes this simplistic, but very important element strike home for both Dell and Grace, and hopefully for you, the audience, too. If you have enjoyed what was said, Please follow me on Anchor, Spotify and other podcasting platforms to never miss an episode. Be kept in the loop for new content on my Instagram and Twitter page. For more of a visual appeal, I've introduced a YouTube channel. And if you enjoy to read what was said, instead, follow my blog, linked elsewhere. I'm a podcaster that enjoys this process, and it wouldn't have been made a reality without you, the listener. And so, I thank you for listening. And I hope you stick around for more.